There's an old adage that's usually attributed to Mark Twain, and it says, too much of anything is bad. Well, is that true? Well, what about too much information? I mean, can we have too much information? Think about it. In a moment's time, in seconds, at our fingertips, we can literally pick up our smartphone or look in our laptop and find information within seconds on a variety of topics. That's wild. Don't you remember? I do. You'd have to go to the library for things like that in the past. And usually the stuff that you found was outdated. You remember the card catalog system? You had to kind of look through the little cards. Boy, all right, now I've said too much. But is too much of anything bad? What about information? Can we have too much information and then we don't know what to do with that? Well, possibly so. You see, just yesterday in the clinic, I had a patient that I walked right into the room with and said, I have Factor V Leiden and the gene for macular degeneration because 23andMe told me so. I said, what? What's going on here? She said, I just spit into my little container and I send it off for genetic testing. Even though I have no family history, mind you, and no past medical history myself, I just kind of wanted to see what was out there. And it came back that she had factor V Leiden mutation and the gene for macular degeneration. And so she was there for help. So is having too much information bad? Well, let's get into that topic now because that same adolescent patient that I just saw was also on hormonal contraceptives. So what would you do? If you found out that your patient had Factor V Leiden heterozygous status mutation, what would you do? Leave her on her pills or take her off? Remember, no past history. She's not obese, doesn't smoke, and her family history is also negative. Well, we're going to give you an answer to that situation now. As quick disclosure, we're mentioning 23andMe, which is an online ordering system for both your genetic ancestry and the potential to find mutations or other health conditions that you may have traits for. This is not a paid sponsorship for 23andMe. Yeah, this really did happen to me. And then, of course, in my brain, first I'm thinking, wow, this is weird. And then, hey, that's a good podcast topic because I've never been in this situation before. And so here we are. So it just happened. I walked into this room, this young adolescent patient, otherwise healthy, non-obese, non-smoker, no personal medical history, and no family history. Just hits me as soon as I enter the door with, hey, Dr. Chapa, I have factor V mutation and the gene for macular degeneration. What? Well, where did that come from? How do you know that? She said, well, I was just always interested. I saw those commercials on this genetic company that does this kind of screening online. And so she ordered the kit, 23andMe, and it came back that she actually had one copy of Factor V Leiden, which she quickly proceeded to Google, as well as the gene for macular degeneration. And she was scared to death. And she was scared to death because she had been on hormonal birth control for the last year and a half. And so she wanted my guidance. Wow. Again, is having too much information a good thing or is it a bad thing? Because this is really complicated, right? Because we're not supposed to know if you have a negative family history and no personal history, if you have Factor V or not. I mean, we don't do screening. But once we know, what's our ethical responsibility? So let's put this into perspective. Remember that ACOG states that the most common type of reversible contraception, not just in the U.S., but pretty much in the world, is the use of combined hormonal contraceptives. In other words, it's a regular birth control pill. 
So you match that against the prevalence in the general population of the most common type of genetic mutation that can give you a clot. In other words, the most common genetic thrombophilic mutation, which is factor V Leiden heterozygous state, then potentially something could go wrong, right? Factor V Leiden heterozygote carrier status happens anywhere from about 1% to 15% prevalence in the general population. And it's a wide range because, of course, there's different ethnicities in the general population. The VTE risk per pregnancy, now remember this patient is not pregnant, but just to keep, put it into some perspective, the VTE risk for pregnancy in a patient who has factor V Leiden heterozygote status without a previous personal history of clot is elevated, is around 0.5 up to 3%. And the VTE risk per pregnancy in a factor V Leiden heterozygote patient, if they have a previous VTE history, is even higher at about 10%. This is important because overall, the prevalence of factor V Leiden heterozygote accounts for about 40%, that's 4-0, of all VTEs. The much more serious, obviously, but thankfully the much more rare, is factor V Leiden homozygous, where the patient has two jacked up copies of factor V. Now, thankfully, that prevalence in the general population is less than 1%, but the VTE risk per pregnancy with a factor V Leiden homozygous patient is anywhere from 2 to 14%, even without a past personal history. And that patient has a VTE risk per pregnancy if they have a previous VTE episode and their homozygous carriers of up to 17%. But thankfully, because it's just not as prevalent as the heterozygote variety, it only counts for 2% of all VTE cases. And I really do hate giving out a bunch of numbers because it can get really confusing very quickly. But short to say, factor V Leiden heterozygote is very common in the community well, at about 1% to 15% in the general population, and it accounts for 40% of all cases of VTEs, pretty high number. And your risk of having a clot in pregnancy is dependent on whether you have a personal history of clotting or not. If you've had no previous clots, lower risk. If you've had previous clots, it's higher risk. And if you have two copies of messed up factor V, in other words, homozygous, well, you've got a much higher risk of clotting, but thankfully, that's much less common in the general population. Now, this patient, we said, is obviously not pregnant, and she wasn't looking to be pregnant. So why do we talk about pregnancy in this? Well, because that's the biggest implication, right? Outside of the fact that she's on birth control pills, it's going to be a future issue when she conceives because now she knows something that we would otherwise never have known because we only screen for thrombophilias if the patient has a personal clot or a strong family history of, of a thrombophilia predisposition. And this patient had neither of those, neither of those, neither of those. I don't know. Look, I'm part Hispanic, so sometimes the language gets a little messed up. Go with it. Well, pregnancy is a future concern for this young lady. So at this time, she's not looking for pregnancy and she's on a 30 microgram pill. And she found out incidentally that she has factor V Leiden heterozygote status. Would you leave her on the pill or take it away? I mean, even ACOG says, look, the vast majority of women who have factor V Leiden heterozygote state and are on combination birth control pills will just never have a clot. But 
that's in the general population who we don't know has a carrier state or not because we're not supposed to screen for it. It's just not cost effective. But in this case, we do know that she has it. The use of combination hormonal contraceptives is contraindicated in women with known familial thrombophilias. It's U.S. medical eligibility category four. It means you can't do it. See, The problem in this case, well, is it a problem or not a problem? That was the original question, is that now we found out that she has this weird mutation, even though she has no past history and nobody in her family has any history of clots. But now we know. Now, despite the fact that combined hormonal contraceptives are a no-no for her, progestin-only methods and levonorgestrel-releasing intrauterine systems are completely acceptable alternatives for these individuals. And that's a Category 2 on the U.S. medical eligibility chart, so that's okay. All right, let's break this down. Women with thrombophilic syndromes, including factor V Latin mutation, even if it's a heterozygote state, do have an increased risk of VTE during combination hormonal contraceptive use. Other thrombophilic conditions include a prothrombin G2210A mutation or protein C or protein S deficiency or antithrombin deficiency. All of these are no-nos for the use of combination hormonal contraceptives. According to the college, in one study, women with heterozygous factor V Leiden mutation were found to have a baseline risk for VTE that was sevenfold higher than women without this mutation. And the risk was more than 15 to 30 times higher in women who were homozygous for factor V Leiden who used combination birth control compared to women who didn't have the mutation. So right around now, you should be thinking, wait a minute, sevenfold higher risk of clot with heterozygous state, 15 to 30 times higher if you're homozygous. Those are pretty high. So shouldn't we screen everybody for these things if they're that prevalent in the population? Why shouldn't we screen that before we use birth control pills? Well, the college has an answer for that. And here it is. Quote, Gynecological care providers should not perform routine screening for these familial thrombotic disorders before initiating combination hormonal contraceptives. Screening would identify about 5% of U.S. birth control candidates as having factor V Leiden mutation. However, most of these women will never experience VTE, even if they used combination birth control pills. So, the college goes on to say, given the rarity of fatal VTE, one group of investigators concluded that screening more than 1 million combination birth control pill users for thrombophilic markers would, at best, prevent two birth control-related deaths. Now, so let's put this in perspective. This is just something that which is not cost-effective to screen because the majority of women, remember, you'd never know. Even if they had a heterozygous mutation state, they probably won't ever have a clot. Which brings us now on what to do with these patients in pregnancy. That's why we touched base on that just a little while ago. Before I get into the pregnancy issue, here's what I did for this patient. You see, if I didn't know about it, it'd be just fine because I didn't know about it. But now that I know this condition, the college says that combination birth control pills is contraindicated. So I talked to her about that, talked her off the ledge of fear, and we're going to switch her over to Mirena. And so that's fine. That's taken care of. The other issue has to do with her macular degeneration gene. So I send her to ophthalmology because, again, no family history either in in her first-degree relatives or second-degree relatives, and she has no personal history. I mean, she's an adolescent. But at least we got her plugged in. 
Remember, is having too much information good or bad? I don't know how to answer that. I mean, sometimes the anxiety and the stress of knowing something that you may end up having later, same thing with BRCA carriers, man, that could be really stressful. All right, now let's focus on the pregnancy issue. Okay, so what did I tell her about her future pregnancies? Well, the truth is it all depends on her personal history. Remember, the college considers Factor V Leiden heterozygous states a low-risk thrombophilia. So at least that's good. Other low-risk thrombophilias include the prothrombin G2210A heterozygous stake. Protein C and protein S deficiency are also called low-risk thrombophilias. According to the college, these low-risk thrombophilias without previous VTE events can simply be managed by antepartum surveillance. In other words, they don't need anticoagulation during pregnancy. And during the postpartum state, the college states that as long as there's no personal history of VTE, these low-risk thrombophilias can be managed just by surveillance without anticoagulation. Or postpartum, they can have anticoagulation prophylactically if they have other risk factors, like let's say they're obese, or they have chronic smoking, or they had a section. Because that increases their risk, then postpartum prophylactic dose anticoagulation can be used. But without a personal previous history of VTE, just antepartum surveillance is okay. Let's switch this up a little bit. What if the same patient, again with this low-risk thrombophilia, now has a family history, specifically a first-degree relative, of VTE? Well, in that case, antepartum management can occur either with surveillance alone or with prophylactic low-molecular weight heparin or prophylactic unfractionated heparin. And in the postpartum period, if there's a family history of clots in these low-risk thrombophilia carriers, then postpartum prophylactic anticoagulation therapy or intermediate-dose Lovenox or unfractionated heparin is recommended. So remember, if there's a family history, during pregnancy, you can surveil by itself or give them prophylaxis. And then in the postpartum period, you can do prophylactic anticoagulation or weight-based or intermediate-dose Lovenox or unfractionated heparin. Our last scenario is the same patient, again with a low-risk thrombophilia, but with a single previous episode of VTE, and she was not receiving long-term anticoagulation therapy. So what do we do for that? So again, factor V Leiden, heterozygous, single episode of a previous VTE, and she's not anticoagulated at that time of pregnancy. Well, the college says that during the antepartum period, these patients should have either prophylactic or intermediate-dose Lovenox or unfractionated heparin. And in the postpartum interval, then they should also have the same, either prophylactic anticoagulation or intermediate-dose Lovenox or unfractionated heparin. Well, my goodness. I mean, what a time we live in, right? I mean, was Mark Twain right or not? Is too much information a bad thing or is it a good thing? Well, in this case, finding out that she had a low-risk thrombophilia, factor V Leiden heterozygote status, was an actionable item. I mean, I took her off combination birth control pills and we switched to another agent. Plus, we gave her information on future pregnancy. And we actually sent her to ophthalmology because of the macular degeneration traits. So, I don't know. I kind of think it's a good thing, except when it gives you extra anxiety and stress for something that you may never encounter. Well, anyway, that's a whole ethical and moral debate for another podcast topic. 
<laughs> but for now, as always, we're thankful for you. Have a great rest of your week, and we'll see you next time on another episode of Clinical Pearls.